Changemakers, welcome back to The Catalyst. I'm sure you know by now that my conception of the original sin, and this is actually quite funny because someone recently made fun of me for this, is stagnation. A lack of progress, a lack of innovation, and above all, a lack of curiosity. So it's a real delight for me to have Juana Sanasco today with us, a maverick, a pioneer, a renaissance woman. Juana, welcome to The Catalyst. Hi, Audrey. Thank you for having me. Of course. Juana, you grew up in Romania, and in previous interviews, you've mentioned that something about your childhood that you now have come to appreciate is the fact that you witnessed the fall of a dictatorship. And what I found really interesting in how you described that is sort of how it left you feeling as if anything can happen very swiftly and how we really do have the ability to create our own worlds. And right now you work as an architect and a quite you know influential one. And something you've mentioned about architecture is that it's a profession that is rooted in the past with a foot in the future. And so I'm curious, would you be able to tell us what world you've been creating with your practice? And further, when it comes to inspiration, are you, like what past are you rooted in and what future have you been creating? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tough question in many ways. It, what I meant with that statement is really that, you know, in architecture, it's quite hard to make abstraction of, um, of, um, of architecture in a way and, 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 you know, even innovation and all the progress that's been happening, it is still very much rooted in the way we, we used to build in the kind of limitations maybe of, of, of space or gravity. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I think also, of course, on a personal level, I, I, it took me a long time to realize just the, the, the value and, um, uh, yeah, the, the maybe the value is the right word for of one owns upbringing. Um, I think it's hard to to you know the the beauty of the of the architecture of architecture as a field for me is really that it's rather open ended. Meaning, as an architect, you can spend your day in very different ways. There's very likely not two architects spending that day their their time in the same way. So the profession is quite open ended. And so I find there's a lot of freedom in that. And, you know, partially of why I chose architecture was because I wasn't sure how, what an architect was doing, <laughs> how he would spend his time. I could imagine it somewhat for a lawyer, for an economist, for a doctor, but there was a mystery to, to architecture. And I think that's why I was intrigued by it when I first chose it. So that, that, that freedom is that world that what you're describing as a world for me is that notion of the freedom of, of, you know, kind of having a choice in how one wants to work and who with and what on and um and really just pursuing that and tailoring it more and more to 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 the other things that I care about in my life in a way to to some of the values that I'm trying to to fulfill and 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 so it's it's a constant effort or fight to just tailor it more and more to for it to become maybe more um stronger in that perspective a stronger expression of what I'm interested in and kind of trying to 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 see the world just through a slightly better angle and trying to participate in that one way or another. I love that. And I love what you said about, you know, trying more and more to really articulate what it is that you're interested in. And I would really love for us to dive deep into that. Could you talk more about the things that over the years have 
you know, um, changed for you in terms of how you, you know, either help your clients think about architecture or how you've even thought about architecture. I recently read an article where you were featured and you talked more so about playfulness. Yes, and the notion of playfulness, I think I was probably, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of it on any aspect that affects us, but probably talking about it from a perspective of public space. And in a way, I think the the sort of, I feel society is so polarized these days and feel everyone has this sort of both big and small fears on their head. Like, it's almost like we, we... it it does feel very very much like things are not necessarily going towards let's say uh collectivity forms of collectivity and and community but really but really just uh, more towards uh separation which i think is a very dangerous place to to go towards so i think for me the question when it comes to public space particularly is how do you make sure these spaces are not just a reflection of rules and regulations but that beauty plays a big role and and with that also playfulness i mean one of the projects that i had done on the subject was um uh, for MoMA PS1, a competition with my colleague Akane Moriyama. She's a Japanese artist and architect. And really what we're trying to create is a bit of a playground for adults, so to speak. Because what's interesting with playgrounds for children, for example, it's, it's, a, it's a place in which the social rules are suspended. And, and so you have to constantly renegotiate how you engage with something or someone and I think that that sort of sort of questioning and uh, both um, let's say the the clash with uh, different kinds of people that intersection how one uh, relates to one another and how one comes together in different ways um, I think those are important things that that public space that that's the role of public space in many ways and and playfulness is something that I, I feel is intrinsic in many of the projects, probably or hopefully. But uh, it, it's trying to look th- at, at things with a sense of humor, but also an acknowledgement that there is this notion of play in all of us, whether we recognize it or not. And, and sort of just teasing out that, that sort of very primal part of us that is, you know, is just seeking to play one way or another. And and trying to think of how how what the role of space is in, in creating some of those those moments. I mean, everyone has an imagination, and we're all deploying it in in different ways. So when it comes to public space, the question for me quite often is how do you, can you create more of an infrastructure for things to be take for people to take over space and inhabit it in various ways in which you you can. So not. Um, hyper-specifying things and limiting their use to a single thing, but on the contrary, sort of opening it up and leaving, uh, in a way, teasing a little bit and opening up to the imagination. So more and more kind of inviting an interaction rather than a fixed and single use. I think that's one aspect of which I can, I'm, you know, is, uh, thinking about playfulness. But on the other hand, on the other, or maybe that's just goes hand in hand with, with this notion of, that I just, you know, believe in in the sense of humor that 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 we have, and that's necessary in many ways to not take oneself too seriously, and also just, just yeah, don't forget to to play in the process of navigating this this brutal world. Exactly, play is something I think often not associated with adults, and I think when it is associated 
with adults, it's sort of used as a pejorative, like, oh, they're a bit childish or of the sort. But, you know, I think in our day to day, we spend so much of our time thinking about very serious, very critical matters. It's nice to be able to just laugh, right? And it's nice to have a space that sort of invokes that out of you, like by virtue of you being in that space, you're now all of a sudden in this energy. Um, and that really is the power of architecture and thinking about public architecture as a sort of community builder, um, which I think we all sort of understand, but it, it really does show that if a place or if a city doesn't really have a lot of public spaces, then, you know, I think that sense of community can be a little bit hard to foster because where would you all sort of come together or all sort of congregate and things like that. And I think that's why you as an architect, you have an incredible amount of not only creative power, but also political power. Um, and you also mentioned this too, like when you're building, you sort of have to take the politics into account because you can't just build, you know, in, in a vacuum. And, you know, something that I also appreciate about you when I was doing my research is that you would often use this word audacity and especially in interviews that sort of detailed the beginning of your career, it was the sense that like, you have to be able to not only believe in your vision, but be willing to create it for yourself. And so I was wondering if you could share with us what has been your most audacious idea, or at least what has been an audacious idea of a client that you've been able to help, you know, come into fruition as their architect? No, that's a tough one, because I can't pick a, <laughs> I can't pick, pick a favorite. I mean, for me, I still find it quite audacious in a way that that this has become my life and that I'm able to make a living this way because the environment that I grew up with had a very different definition of work and it was very very specific and very productivity oriented and with fairly little room for creativity for that sense to, to be able to to yeah to just uh, do this as a as a profession and travel and meet people um, like you along the way and have these conversations. I mean, I still, still find that uh, part of me can't quite wrap my head around it and, and maybe I shouldn't either. <laughs> it's for the better. And when it comes to projects, I think every project still has some of that quality for me in, in whichever way. I'm building a house now in Canada and I'm just so uh grateful for the family that we're building the house with because it's been an incredibly uh an incredible collaboration incredible um opportunity an incredible site an incredible context but of course it's not possible without someone trusting you and putting that trust on your shoulders and been working with my colleague Keith Burns uh New York on the house and that's also been just incredibly inspiring and just powerful as a collaborative relationship so it's it's these things that always stand out for me but I feel every every project has something you know being able to be at Coachella and and, and do an installation there that now is actually being moved and in, in, into the city and becomes part of the cityscape it's I feel for every project it's still it's still incredible to me because it takes you know any of these projects take a substantial amount of time and a substantial amount of people and and they require tra trust and collaboration so to be able to always kind of move around these teams together allow everyone to put their energy into things that you draw or or, or think of into your imagination that's still rather unbelievable i can imagine how unbelievable that is especially after it's all done right especially after you can sort of sit in something you've created host people in something you've created 
you sort of see the community that results out of something you created. I'm sure that is an incredible feeling. And to that point of creation, when it comes to your creative process and bringing something to the client, is it they tell you or their idea and okay, you come back to them and you're saying, okay, this is what I have in mind, or is it something where they sort of tell you and then you sort of go out and try to create their idea? Like when it comes to ideas and when it comes to translating those ideas into something tangible, how do you think about that in a creative sense? Clients quite often, they do have a pretty good sense to a certain degree um, of, of what they want. So if it's a house, they will, you know, likely they already have certain things in their mind quite often uh, where they're like, I could imagine this here and this there and this there and so on and so forth. Or um, also in the case of, let's say, a retail space or other spaces that there there is a idea is like, okay, this is where we, these are the rooms that we want and this is how we imagine them. And I always, uh, I always appreciate that, and I think that's always a good starting point. But it's also, I feel, it's my job as an architect to come back with something that they haven't thought of, and in a way show them right the true potential of space or an architecture that goes beyond that. I mean, it's not their job to do that. So in a way, even being able to start from a point of of what their imagination or ideal condition would be, and to take that and really then allow it to to grow into and to develop into a fully fledged architecture that maximizes really the potential of space i think that's where our job comes in right because everyone has a i mean everyone inhabits a space and everyone has some sense of a of an idea for example of how they where they would want either a bedroom or the kitchen or you know it's it's how we inhabit spaces that essentially these are deeply private sort of questions at at the in the case of residential architecture um and and i think we we really have the potential there the possibility there as architects to really show okay but look what how much more the space can do for you and what those things are how they can materialize themselves and and it is because it's so complex because it's so tied to to a site to an environment to an ecology to a community it, it's really allowing all these different aspects to really trying as good as possible to allow all these different aspects to come all all mixed together in a coherent way. And that's where it becomes a bit of a uh, conductor's job because you, you have really this huge orchestra that you have to lead with intense precision towards the, towards the final goal. And then, you know, the process for me is always one of discovery. Uh, I don't have a specific style or style as such does not interest me very much, but I see the uniqueness of every site, every context, every brief, every client as a a, a really sort of fascinating thing. And and that's where things start for me. And then from there it becomes, I try to actually always push design back as much as possible and sort of suspend this belief and really just just allow myself to take things in and to learn because you have this instinct of you instantly get ideas. Of course, I instantly get ideas when I get into a space or in, when I'm presented with a brief. But it's very important for me to still push design back and not just jump onto those first ideas um, and allow myself to really hear, understand, learn more about the, the context and uh, allow allow this notion of surprise, allow this notion of un- uncovering something um, to happen. I think it was my first boss, Eris, who said, uh, if you know from the beginning what you're going to do, you have done it before. 
And and I think that that's true. So for me as a process, I think first is just kind of going in and really learning as much as possible, listening as much as possible, understanding as much as possible, and really allowing myself to form in a way almost a set of desires and that's deeply tied into values, I'd say before before design truly starts and then from there design is a process of exploration and testing different ideas and different possibilities because you're dealing with space it's actually quite difficult to anticipate space so yes we can read a plan and we can um, let's say read plans and drawings as architects which not everyone can but even then it's, it's quite hard, and I always use as an example, let's say, if you think of the iPhone, right? Before an iPhone became the iPhone that we all got to buy, how many uh, replicas, how many mock-ups were done of it? And probably hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, I imagine, because every inch, every detail matters so much. So you can't really do that in architecture. You can't just do a mock-up of a of a building, right, and then decide to build it. So there is always a little bit of a guessing game there or a game of anticipation. And and as an architect, you're you're somewhat trained that muscle of, of anticipating space or imagining space and understanding the difference between what is on paper and how it will feel. Um, I think that's, a, that's one of those muscles that you get trained as an architect that's, that's quite developed. Uh, but but still, and I think that's why we work a lot with physical models. I think that's the that's a that's how we test ideas because you still have to be able to to work in space, even if it's not at the scale of one to one. You have to be able to test things out and try to visualize um, and and try to anticipate and understand how things would feel at at these at the. At, at the real scale, even though you can't, you know, quite build it that way. So that's what I mean to certain degree with this notion of discovery. And, and there is some playfulness there too. And I think quite often some of the best ideas seem like the most ridiculous ones too. So yeah, it's, um, it's fun. And I think there is always this moment where you get to present a client with, with an idea that that shows something i think when they then understand that possibility of what the space can do for them or when it's something they could have, have hadn't anticipated whether it's about the efficiency of space they can also have a very different uh, user experience or whether it's about just the int- intimacy of a residence I, I think that moment to me is always extremely extremely powerful but it's hard i think as in any creative endeavor it's hard to get there and there's always this constant struggle and process that till you get that concept until you find that idea where where you know okay this is the right strategy for this for this project i think that's always uh quite a difficult struggle but once you're there then in a way things become so much clearer because it's a little bit like discovering your north star and they're like okay this is what we're going for so everything is in service of this idea but the constant uh, the biggest work the biggest effort i always find goes into that first first phase yeah all about refining and sort of getting extremely clear as to what it is you're trying to create even if you know how you go about that changes and two things, the idea of a North Star, I find that very helpful, which I think for some people could translate into values, right? So as long as like the values are aligned, then quite truly you're able to do anything. 
And I appreciate what you said, or at least what your boss said about, if you know from the beginning what you're going to do, then you've done it before. Because I think that sort of speaks to a sense of innovation and a sense of progression, which at the beginning I mentioned is something that, I mean, that's one of my values, right? Like progression, innovation, making sure that you're a little better than you were before. And in previous interviews, you've mentioned that you don't really see architecture as something that sort of exists around one sole visionary, right? You've talked about how it's about collaboration um, and really understanding people and listening to people so you can sort of create what it is that you're trying to do. You've talked about the intimacy of a residence and perhaps the scale of something a little bit more public. When it comes to these sort of collaborations you've had in your career, which collaborator has influenced you the most? What collaboration um, sort of like endures in your heart as something when you think back on it you're like I cannot believe I was able to be a part of that and you know just just something that makes you really happy and really proud as an architect I mean there's so there's so many mo moments uh like that sorry I'm <laughs> trying to to think it and it's always it's always hard but there there's quite a few and honestly quite often they're really tied to 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 people to some other people whether they're friends or you know maybe one of the most recent uh things it's an ex experience that i'm that still sort of lingers with me in ways in which i can't quite anticipate but um i is, we set up at mit this uh option studio design studio that's called blueprints of justice with uh my good friend nora Haider from um, from the stanford legal design lab and um and we we taught a class this we taught the studio this spring and it was on abortion clinics and we we had an amazing group of six students and it was incredibly i think intense but also life altering in ways in which i can't quite put my finger on it and and it still stays with me and i know it it shaped so many it it i, I keep saying it it, it it became a point of no return, but I'm not, I can't fully tell you what I mean with it. It's more something that I intuitively feel that some tectonic plates have shifted in this process. Um, but it's been an incredible sort of both humbling experience, but also an incredible honor in a way to work with the students closely and, you know, build that trust up. And we, we used to do every week collective exercises and so on and so forth because we're dealing with, you know, just build that sense of, um, collectiveness while uh, to the degree to which that's possible in this short time that a studio has but that's this has been an incredibly both very intense and 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 I think powerful experience that that in many ways I'm still processing and then I, I feel you know it's an incredible privilege to be able to to do that and to study that and I, I quite enjoy the context of schools as a platform as a place of of research uh, because you're you're entering it quite different than from from a private uh, perspective, and but also this process of discovery alongside uh, young people um, has been especially with such a with such a topic has been has been quite quite powerful. So I'm I'm very I'm very grateful in a way for the collective to to allow for this process and to shape this process to what it became, and and I know it it really marked me in ways in which I'm 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 still yeah 
trying to to make sense of it but it's been it's been really really incredible and it is such a huge uh privilege to be able to take you know subjects of interest things that are on your mind and then really just uh just pursue them and and really try to understand them better and and learn about them and and act on them and kind of understanding what sh- what one's own position and role is let's say as architects in this context on the subject so this has been a really incredible intense and very difficult in many ways but also inspiring um yeah project there's a sort of heightened acuteness surrounding it at the time especially now and especially in this country with all the conversations we're having and something about endurance i thought of endurance as i was listening just in the sense that like someone will say something or you'll do something and the result of that will endure with you and it'll sort of affect how you then move about the world. At least that's how I, I sort of understood your your mentioning of tectonic plates. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you do know that now something has shifted. The wind has shifted something, you know, about the way you view life has shifted. And I think most recently, you know, I, I graduated recently from college back in May. And in the spring, I took Professor Emmanuel Coach's class and it was a course on fashion as moral laboratory. That was the official name. But what it really was, was a course on philosophy and sort of fashion was the mode, the medium in which we were discussing philosophy. It was very interdisciplinary and you actually gave a talk in that class. That is how we met. And I'm bringing it up partly because of what you said about the classroom being a place in which you can really talk about things or really learn about things in a way that's a bit different from, you know, outside. You know, when it comes to the students that you've helped with over the years, you know, especially at the design school, and you think about the next generation of architects, what is something that you want them to remember? You know, what is something that you want to endure, you know, for them as you sort of progress throughout their careers and their lives? That's a tough one. There's this funny saying that that advice is always just nostalgia wrapped in, I don't know, some glittery things and <laughs> uh, something new. But um, I I feel what I, what I always try to hold on to and not necessarily successful, but I think one, one thing that I've noticed with time is really there is some it's hard to fully grasp it, but you're it's very likely you're never quite as free as you are when you're that young. And and again, there comes that audacity that we talked about earlier with youth, which allows you to challenge the world around you and ask questions that 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 people forgot or got tired to ask or don't even see anymore. And and with time, you know, it it's it's great when you're young because you're really sort of upset in many ways especially right now at the world that you're inheriting but halfway through that process at one point you become responsible yourself for for the world that you live in and and there's something that's happening there that's always quite intriguing and interesting to me and and so I think trying not to let go of that either that audacity or that that constant constant questioning and that desire and that that perspective I think is 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 quite important because I do feel the world the way we the way that it's made it is really quite it it's easy with with time and responsibilities and all of the struggles that happen with with age two that we lose a little bit sight of the possibilities 
and and really that the the world we inhabit becomes narrower and narrower and narrower but i think if there would be maybe one thing i would just say staying open and and i feel it requires an effort to stay an effort to stay open because both societally the way the world is built and uh professionally and privately too is everything is is kind of almost made to to a certain degree uh yeah narrow one's world down but actually if you're staying open to the world to people to change uh will require while it's maybe natural when one is very young requires more of an effort as as one grows older uh in no small part because of the baggage just just accumulate so that effort i think is really uh worthwhile in many ways and and in a way keeping a young mind is is i feel quite quite important in in for from many perspectives even more so of course you know in creative businesses but but also just as as people and yeah yeah that's incredible actually and something that i've come to understand as well in sort of the profession that i do now i'm always being told that you know you have to think outside of the box right because you want to come up with sort of the best idea the most innovative idea for the client and i have the privilege of being able to sit in meetings with some of the most senior bankers and as we're discussing upcoming meetings and sort of what we want there's this one particular banker he's our boss effectively our boss he'll be like no 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 no. this guy you know he thinks this way so we want to make sure that the idea we're coming with him is you know very bold very out of the box thinking and sort of that idea that like you have to remain open you know just because you do something one way doesn't necessarily mean you have to continue doing it that way and honestly that's a lesson for us all that's a lesson for life in general right and speaking of endurance again continuing i'd love to end with this so i want to talk about the project that's happening in your hometown so this came out of your thesis project from 2007 and this was sort of to reuse an old rail structure that crosses the the town center and turn it into an elevated park and in my research of this you mentioned how you had this idea approximately like two years before new york's highline open and so i thought about how it was incredible how like ahead of the times you were but what's even more incredible is that this project, you've now, refu- you've now received funding from it from the European Union. What's also incredible is that it's so close to home. You know what I mean? It's endured all this long. And I love that. It felt like such a full circle moment. So I was wondering if you could talk about that sort of in the context of, you know, what it means for you as an architect and, and also as, you know, a child who, who didn't know that architects, you know, could sort of work like this and now all of a sudden come back and work on something in your hometown and something that everyone will be able to enjoy yeah absolutely i mean full disclosure just to rectify that a little bit the i think the pro the highline project was already known just as a you know it was i don't think it was under construction yet but it was being talked about so i mean there is a similarity to 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 the projects from those two perspectives but really there's also huge differences for for many reasons i mean the the project is in romania is in at around 100 feet height and uh the thesis was way um i mean yeah it was it was quite different different from different perspectives it was way more about creating a community space and and actual physical spaces 
onto the structure as the city was already surrounded in nature. So the perspectives were slightly different. But what I actually think the Highland did, where it helped quite a lot, was actually allowing me to pursue the my own project in the context of the school. Because without a precedent like that, it was a lot harder to convince actually the, the school and the professors that, look, it's it's like this 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 should be passing as an architecture project. Because that's one of the conversations that oftentimes happens in, happen in school where, you know, is it you have to make a building, what kind of building and, and what what how can you push the limits of that? So um, I'm always very grateful for for it's always interesting how that works, but sometimes having a precedent like that will allows one to to really kind of open the possibilities for other in other contexts or for other people too. And then actually Joshua David, one of the founders of the Highline, was one of our board members on the Plaspool project in in New York, and we learned so much from him and such an inspired figure. So very very grateful for him from many perspectives. And yeah, the project is incredible. We're we're now in the midst of it. They're drawing heavily, doing all the construction drawings. And that's been incredibly rewarding. I mean, one thing that you learn also as an architect, you know, you grow a bit of a, I don't want to say thicker skin, but you, you learn to be patient with the process. Everything takes quite a long time. And and there's also a little bit of you know I'll I'll breathe easily once I see it built and one once I see people enjoying it. We're still in the midst of of the of the hard part, but in a way it's 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 also that gives me a lot of joy. It's figuring out the structure and the details and working around so many interesting parameters. I mean the structure itself that we're dealing with is incredible. We have a half a kilometer long beam. And that that's one continuous beam that expands and contracts between the seasons about 20 centimeters, uh, which is, I'm going to say, I don't want to say it inches, <laughs> but, but, uh, but enough, you know, it, anyway, just as a geometry, as a structure is incredible. And of course it's my, my, my parents still live in the apartment building that's right off of the structure. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, Romania is an interesting part of the world, not just for me, because, but we're still very much between the East and the West. And, and in this town is a former industrial town that has, has lost its industry after the revolution in 89. And so it has been looking for a new sense of life, uh, for a long time. It's close to mountains and people pass through it on the way to, you know, there's a huge, the, the landscape is incredible. Uh, there is a lot of biking, uh, extreme sports, skiing, all these kind of things happening. So we're really just trying to also give uh, a place of uh, pride to the to the town, while also creating a bit of a of an attraction, a bit of a reason for people to stop in a place like that. You know, the other aspect of it too, you're trying to not something that is as present as a structure like that. You don't want to just demolish it and sort of almost. Kind of say it, it wasn't even here um but on the contrary sort of work with what's there and bring it to life and sort of allow it to reinvent itself and allow these these structures that were built incredibly beautiful actually we have the original drawings it's such an such an incredible effort put into it uh, and allow these old symbols to have you know to become new symbols and to to have a new a new sense of life so um, it's difficult in many ways to be so close to a project, um, but it's also incredibly, there's something very, I don't know if comforting is the right word, but the familiarity of the 
side of the context is really nice because it's it's you know you you've you've I've lived through <laughs> with 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 that space in that place and 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 having with the entire team having such a good uh, understanding of it and being so close to everyone who lives there and and sort of knowing what you can do there's something that makes it actually very easy on a certain degree where it's not this research or effort that you have to put into understanding a context but it's like it's part of you uh in high school we always used to climb on the structure because it gives you this unique perspective on the city so it's uh it, it is one of those to your previous questions too it's absolutely one of those incredible experiences where i'm still also wow i can't i can't believe in a way the the thesis you know it just stayed in the local mythology and then at one point in my year a couple of years ago I was like okay let's do it and i was like wow this is incredible and you know the local team without the local team this couldn't exist bogdan demetrescu he's my he was my professor in in college um, I think just at the beginning, it might have been the first time he taught, but he's now the local architect and on the ground. And it's been also in one of those incredibly powerful collaborations. I'm so grateful for him and to his team. And um, it's 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 been it's been it's been beautiful. And it's not easy by any means. In many ways, it's also one of the hardest projects that I might have ever worked on. But uh, but very rewarding for sure. It sounds like it. And I loved how you mentioned that you didn't want to just sort of, you know, take away the structure and it didn't exist anymore. I think there's something incredible about history enduring into the present and a sort of reminder of what was, but still being able to be utilized as, you know, what is. And I know I said that was the last question, but I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, sort of at the beginning, you had a practice called Family New York with a partner, and now you, now you run your own solo practice. Um, and you know, you mentioned precedence, and I think it is pretty incredible. Um, sort of being a woman in this space, as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Architecture is still very much a male-dominated field, or at least it has a perception of being. And so, for you to be a woman, for you to be a very successful woman in this field, is you know, precedent-setting. It's really incredible and inspiring to the next generation. And you know, non-architects alike, I'm personally very inspired by you. And so, I was wondering if we could end there and sort of what it means, you know, for you to be successful, have found success, also a sense of freedom. That's also the sense I get, a sense of creative freedom, a sense of creative satisfaction from an industry and a practice that, you know, used to be known as having one person that sort of defined a decade or a moment. I listened to an interview with Jack Hertzgard, who basically said how there is no longer a star architect. There are only like star cities. That's sort of how everything has evolved. But you no, know, sort of ending with you, and your practice, how do you see it? You know, how do you see your story in the greater history of architecture? Oh, I, I, I don't think that's <laughs> personal healthy exercise. I don't, I feel the, you know, there's something very anchoring in the reality of architecture and it's what makes it very hard, but you're so tied to, I don't know, to a bureaucracy, to the politics of a place, to you, in a way, it's 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 very humbling all the time because you're. It feels like you're almost constantly with the knees in the dirt. I don't know if that's an expression, but it it feels like you know you're always sort of 
tied to to these many factors, you know, the way a global economy or something like the pandemic affects the construction costs and this and that. So it, it, in a way, I, I feel I tend to be caught up in the in the reality of the profession and just the pursuit of the project. I'm not I'm not looking at it with with other eyes or from other from other perspectives, if that makes makes sense. And, you know, when it comes to to success, like in, in a way, I'm grateful to be able to work on the projects that I have and, and to have these meaningful and, and, and powerful connections with people and the trust uh, by some of these clients has been has been incredibly rewarding and, and, and sort of just grateful for that. And when it comes to success, I feel what I've learned is one of the most important things one can do is really define what success means for themselves. Um, because in the architectural profession, I know for a fact, and quite many people are to a certain degree um, suffering in it, or they, you know, there's this preconceived notion of what success means that we don't necessarily explain to ourselves, but we just sort of blindly go towards. Uh, and especially in American context, that means big. <laughs> and, you know, it means a very kind of specific or let's say charismatic figure and, and, and being big and doing big things and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that, but not everything is for everyone. And sort of understanding what success means for one personally is, is, is I think that's where, where one can find a certain degree of freedom. Because you, we, yeah, I think it's about understanding what works for one, what one's needs and desires truly are, and what's one, what one's ability for risk taking and so on is, and then really just working towards that. And to me, that's uh, in many ways a, a lifelong pursuit. I would say I feel the way I work and the practice and is 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 a bit of an organic thing. And, and I, I feel constantly the pull to have to do certain things, but then I'm trying to also just step aside and say, actually, this isn't either the right moment or the right time or the right place or the right people for that matter. And so it's this, for me, it, it's, 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 I don't feel like I've ever, uh, let's say, arrived in a certain place. By all means, I'm very grateful for where I am. But now it's, it, you know, wherever you get somewhere, it's okay what do I make with this and what do I get with what, what can I make with the, some of the privileges that I have, but then also how do you, how do you just make the most of, of where you're at? So it's this constant sort of working through things. And, and, and I think that's, that's very grounding and very, um, it, it, it's, I, I don't know, I find comfort in this, in this perspective of just constantly reevaluating where one is and what, what is trying to do. Um, because any in the architectural context to most projects take years. And, and so there's, there's a different pace than the world around me. And then many of the professions around me, like say fashion or music or things like that. Um, but, and that, that's where this previous comment with being anchored in the past and the future is, you know, what you do also is there to stay for, for decades, if not longer. So I'm, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but, but in a way, trying to carve one's own sort of little world, back to your first question, to bring it full circle, and, and thriving in that, I think that's the biggest uh, uh, luxury for me personally. That's also the sense I get as well. You know, what you said about defining success for yourself, I think that's very, very important for everyone, I think, at, at any stage, because we can sort of get caught up in 
ideas and stories and world given and created by other people. Feeling as if we have to, you know, live by that or live in that. And remaining grounded as well, too. That's also very important. And something that I'm so grateful for is being able to interview incredible people like yourself and sort of taking something away from the conversation. And then when I edit, I like hear new things that I didn't like hear when I was like listening real life or real time. And all these different lessons sort of just like live in me. And that's something that I find so incredible. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Changemakers, if you enjoyed this episode with Oana, could you please do me a favor? Let me know by subscribing to the Catalyst podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify if you're listening there. And if you're listening from our website, changemakerswelcome.com, leave me a comment. Let me know exactly what you liked about this episode, perhaps even what you didn't like. But of course, if you can't say anything nice, say something clever, but you know, at the end of it, devastating, right? I do these interviews because I am so personally interested in the people that I host, but ultimately at the end of it, I want to make sure that I'm providing engaging, insightful, and inspiring content. So let me know the ways in which you would like me to be better or do something different or perhaps even continue. Changemakers, thank you. Until next time.